We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to make it to verse 6 today. How about that? It's exciting as we're looking at the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we are spending a lot of time in the Beatitudes, and we're looking at another one today, Matthew 5, 6. Did you know that Super Bowl Sunday is the second largest food consumption day of the year? What do you think is the first? Thanksgiving. All right, see, that's why we didn't do the first day. Super Bowl Sunday, the second most food consumption day of the year. And I went to some various statistics, and here's a compilation of the breakdown of what was consumed approximately on Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody remember that day? Are you still full? No. All right. You ready for this? Four million pounds of popcorn. Oh, it gets better. Over 20 million pounds of tortilla and or potato chips. Anybody have any of that? Super Bowl Sunday? To go with that, 13 million pounds of guacamole. <laughs> that, I got to have that, right? Anybody? Come on. Anybody have that? Avocados from Mexico, right? Okay. Thank you for that laugh over there. Appreciate it. That's Dave. I can tell. That's a tenor laugh over there. It gets even better. 12.5 million pizzas. And my favorite, my food of choice, chicken wings. You ready? Over $2 billion spent on chicken wings. Super Bowl Sunday. Wow. Oh, by the way, sales of acids went up approximately 20% after Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. All that junk food filled us for a while. Beverages quenched our thirst for a time. But today, we're going to look at a different kind of hunger and thirst. It has nothing to do with Super Bowl or pigging out or anything like that. Today, we look at an appetite that I call spiritual appetite. I read this, and it really spoke to me. The difference between spiritual maturity and spiritual immaturity is, are you ready? Appetite. The difference between spiritual maturity and spiritual immaturity is appetite or appetites. So let me ask you a few questions this morning. Uh, what are you hungry for? What's your spiritual passion? How about this one? What are you in search for today? And what drives you? What drives you? As we share today, please remember that this beatitude does not say this. I stole this from someone. I love it. Are you ready? The beatitude we're going to look at today does not say, blessed are those who casually snack after righteousness. <laughs> All right? It's much more than that. Uh, let's read. One through six. We'll go back to verse one again and read, and we'll get to verse six today. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or meek, because they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Let's pray. God, open our hearts this morning, speak to us, may your word be alive and active in our lives. May you challenge our presuppositions, 
may you show us the type of spiritual appetites that we need to have as we hunger and thirst. May we see again that you are holy and that you are enough and you are all that we need. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So before we jump into our four points this morning, I do want to remind you of the progression. Not only is it a logical progression, but Jesus uh, was doing something here, and these first four Beatitudes really go together. The next ones will have a slightly different bent on them, but remember number one in verse three, the poor in spirit. You remember that? And that was the idea of spiritual poverty, no hope of our own, no claim of our own, no righteousness of our own. It's when we see God, we realize that we are sinners, and we are lost. We're poor in spirit. Then in verse 4, the second one was, that brings us to mourn over our sin condition. That's true repentance. True repentance, true turning to the Lord is when we mourn over our sinful condition, which brought us to last week, verse 5. That brings us, that poor in spirit and mourning brings us to meekness. And our definition was simply strength. Meekness is strength under God's control, strength under God's control. And all of these develop a hunger, new appetites, if you will. And that's verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. So let's jump in. Number one, I thought it would be good to start with hungering and Thirsting. What a concept. Boy, that's original, isn't it? But let's take a look at what that is because we just saw it has nothing to do with Super Bowl Sunday or Turkey at Thanksgiving. It's something totally different. The word hunger is the word pinao, and it gives an idea of craving or seeking with intense desire. You see that? It's a craving. It's, it, there's an intensity. There's a great desire. It also gives a picture of being needy, needy in that way. It's a very strong biblical word, hunger. Then we have the word thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Thirst is dipsao. It gives us the idea of those who painfully feel, okay, get feeling. They painfully feel the desire for thirst, and they seek refreshment. This word is also a very intense word. No doubt, Jesus had no problem using these intense words. In fact, think on this one, I will die unless I drink. Now, most of us have never been to that point, but there are people in the world who have actually experienced that. I will die if I do not drink. The psalmist knew about this. I was reminded of Psalm 42, Verses 1 and 2, many of you will remember this. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says this. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Do you see the picture there? I'm like this. God, I want to be right there with you. It's a picture of a deer who craves water. And the word longs, as the deer longs for streams of water, that word means to bellow. So let's try that. Everybody ready? You want to bellow? I won't make you do that today. Um, I, I've seen a lot of deer in my life. You guys? Eating some? Uh-oh. Don't put that on the tape. Someone will send me an email. Okay? But I, they're, they're usually fairly quiet. I, I've never been around a deer that 
was so thirsty that the deer bellowed. But the word, that's what the word long means. It means to bellow, to cry out fervently for water. You see, we're supposed to have this kind of passion and appetite to know God and to walk with Him. We're to seek God's righteousness rather than try a righteousness of our own. We're good at establishing things. Have you noticed that? We are really good at establishing things things we ought to do, we think we ought to do, we think this is what the Bible says, we just think, you know what, the rest of you should be doing this as well. But what I want you to see today is nowhere in this is there any establishment of a righteousness on our own. And let me give you an example of that. Israel's unbelief is an example of having your own righteousness. Romans chapter 10, that great chapter in the Bible, Romans 10 verse 3 says this, describing their unbelief for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Don't be like that. That's a bad example. And here's a good example. Uh, Philippians 3.9. Listen to what Paul states. This is a good example. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on Faith. That's the example we should have. Hungering, thirsting for God. Number two, what righteousness is not. I'm kind of in a little rut the last couple of weeks. I'm doing what is, it is not and what it is, but it, it, I think it works. So the first thing I want you to see what righteousness is not is it is not partial. I don't know if you've noticed, but many Christians want just bits and pieces of righteousness. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in your own life, maybe in some areas? We want bits and pieces of righteousness. Just enough to make us comfortable. That's not how it works. That's not how this verse works. You see, to do righteous, hear me, to do righteousness is not enough. To be righteous is not enough. Both are essential. Both are essential in order to be blessed. Now, if we took a poll, if I had a chance to interview all of you, almost every person here would, some of you would fall under the do righteousness category a little bit more, and some of you would fall under the be righteous category. You see where I'm going with this? Everybody clear on how those things work? You see, there are two kinds of people if they're not really hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness, there are those who stress being righteous and neglect doing righteous. Now that leads to some errors. So if you're a little bit more in the camp of being righteous, listen closely. The first error is this, the error of false security. It's, you see, being righteous and neglecting to do righteousness uh, causes a person to stress that, that this person is saved, this person is acceptable to God because he has believed in Jesus Christ. Yes, but he neglects in doing good. He does not live as he should, obeying God and serving others. 
A second error, the error of sinful living. We can't just go out and do whatever. I mean, I guess we, we, we can, but we shouldn't. You see, this person that stresses being righteous but neglects doing righteousness, uh, this person knows that sinful behavior may affect his fellowship with God and other believers. But he thinks that his behavior does not affect his salvation and acceptance with God. This hit home for me this morning. I don't know why. I went up to my office, I went over the sermon again, and I clicked the computer on. And there was an article about an extremely famous guy that our Southern Baptist Convention and many other church groups have used for his expertise, unbelievable expertise in a lot of things, helped a lot of churches, and he fell to infidelity. See, it's not enough to be righteous. We have to do righteous. None of us is exempt. You know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of, of pastors and church leaders that are falling. I just think that we have to put these two things together. I think that's what Scripture's talking about. You see, this incomplete righteousness is not what is meant here. Righteousness in the Bible means being righteous and doing righteousness. So let's flip the coin over. There are those who stress doing righteousness and neglect being righteous. Maybe you know someone like that. It also leads to errors. Number one, the error of self-righteousness and legalism. You ever heard of that? It's quiet in here right now. <laughs> do we need to stand up and do some jumping jacks or what? You're just listening. That's good. The error of self-righteousness and legalism. It causes a person to stress that he or she is saved and acceptable to God because I am doing stuff. I am doing good. He behaves morally. He keeps rules and regulations. But he neglects the basic law, the law that God gives us of love and acceptance. That God loves him and accepts him not because of what he is doing that is good, but because God loves him. And God commands us to trust in the righteousness of Christ. Another error is the error of being judgmental and critical. This is the person who stresses doing righteousness and neglects being righteous. A person who stresses that he is righteous or acceptable to God because he keeps certain laws often judges others. Have you noticed that? This is not a person that, that, that is that fun to be around. And every church has a number of people like this. Stress rules and regulation and legalism to a certain point that they judge others. Now, I got a haircut yesterday. Revival came to my soul. It was amazing. The lady was cutting my hair and I kept saying, this is fantastic. I was way overdue. It, it feels so good. All right? Did some of you even notice? I'm not offended if you didn't notice. It's okay. I don't always comment when your hair changes color and stuff like that, okay? But look what I'm wearing today. A beard. You realize in some churches I could not stand up and preach because I had facial hair. That's those people who are hung up on rules and regulations. I think Jesus might have had a beard now that I think about it. 
Beard, beard, okay, yeah. So it's this person who comes up with all these things. And some may appear to be good, and they may even be doing good, but often judges others. This person feels that rules and regulations can be kept because I keep them. Everybody else ought to keep them because I keep them. Therefore, anyone who fails to keep them is judged, is criticized, and in some cases even censored. This is also not biblical righteousness. Again, righteousness in the Bible is both being righteous and doing righteousness. Remember, Jesus does not say, blessed are the righteous. The scripture does not say that. A lot of people read that and think that's what it says. It does not say, blessed are the righteous. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God's righteousness, all of it, not partial Okay, Lamar, why? Why must we hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'll tell you why. The Bible makes it clear. We have all come up short. Have you read that in the Bible? We have all come up short. We have all missed the mark. God's standard of perfection, perfect holiness, we've missed it all. Hmm. We have one hope. And that hope is in God, that God will, as Scripture says, count us righteous. We'll get to more of that in a moment. So we must examine our lives. The question is this, how much am I seeking righteousness? Am I seeking it at all? Am I seeking it a little? Seeking it some? Seeking much? Seeking more and more? Jesus is clear with the words that he uses here. A person has to crave, starve, and thirst for righteousness. A person must seek righteousness more and more if he or she wishes to be filled, to be satisfied. Let's move on. Number three, that's what righteousness is not. Let's look at what righteousness is. First off, righteousness means all righteousness kind of said that, and I want to lock that in. The true believer starved. Is, this person is parched for all righteousness. I don't do this often, but I want to do a little uh, biblical word study, if you will. I know some of your eyes are going to glaze over, and some of you are like, you're ready to write. You're ready to write, okay? But I want you to think it's, this verse is very unique in the biblical language. Usually in the Greek, the verbs hunger and thirst are in what is called the genitive case. This simply means that a person sometimes feels a little hunger, sometimes a little thirst. Therefore, this person hungers and thirsts for a bit of something. An example I would use if it was in that case would be for a glass of water. I thirst for a glass of water. But in this verse, hunger and thirst are in the accusative case, which is most unusual. This means a hungering, a thirsting for the whole thing. In New Mexico, we would say for the whole enchilada, the whole thing. Accusative case. For all righteousness, not for little tidbits or just a glass or just a bite. A person must starve and thirst for all righteousness if he wishes to be filled with the fullness, filled with the fullness of life. Furthermore, we have another word. It's the word righteousness, and the normal Greek usage is entirely abandoned in this verse. 
Again, it's not in the genitive case, but it is in the accusative case. The whole thing, all of it. So we must long for the whole thing. We must long for a perfect righteousness. A righteousness equal to and identical with God's righteousness. Great. We can't do that, right? There's no way to pull that. We're not perfect. How are we going to pull that off? How in the, Okay, thanks for telling me what righteousness is. That's very helpful, preacher. I admit, this is tough. I want you to hear, this is tough. I believe it is a lifelong pursuit for the believer, the follower of Christ. Can some of you say today, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was? Can some of you claim the verse that he who began a, a good work in me will complete it? The day of Jesus, that idea complete of maturation. Do, do some of us feel like we're more spiritually mature? Not, not uh, holier than thou, but more mature than we were two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? I hope so. But it's tough. It takes a lot of work and passion. The great Romans chapter 3. Don't you love that chapter? I want you to jot down verses 9 through 13. The Bible acknowledges how tough this is. Romans 3, 9 through 13. What then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written. Are you ready? There is no one righteous not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. I told you it's tough, didn't I? Jesus speaks. Matthew 19, 17. Matthew 19, 17. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. This is Jesus speaking. No one is good but God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then back in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you hear me state it all the time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's tough. John Butler has helped me here. Maybe he can help you. What we need is a great desire, that hungering, thirsting, a great desire. I'm going to give you three F words that might, you might think about this week. Number one, we need focus. Well, what does that mean, focus? We need to focus on righteousness, on all of it, on divine righteousness, God's righteousness, not my own righteousness. You see, my own righteousness always has a checklist. Is that not right? And we know in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the love that we're supposed to have keeps no records of wrongs, and I would say, or rights either, because we get these checklists going. So, number one, this great desire we've got to have to help us here is focus on righteousness. Number two is fervency. Fervency. We've talked about it. It's that intense hungering and thirsting, craving, being parched. And number three, frequency. It's in the present tense, so it means on and on and on. Those who hunger and thirst 
and hunger and thirst and hunger and thirst. Are you getting the idea? And hunger and thirst and hunger and thirst. On and on and on. So there's hope for us as God develops this desire more and more in us that we can focus more and be fervent and, and, and have the frequency that we need. I believe right here in this verse, Jesus is explaining Luke 6.21. Listen to Luke 6.21. Blessed are you who hunger now because you will be filled. Let me ask you, do we have the desire to see God's standards established God's standards established and obeyed in every aspect of our life. Wow. Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What's the last part of the verse? For they will be filled. Point number four is spiritual satisfaction. Okay, again, nothing to do with Super Bowl or Thanksgiving, but spiritual satisfaction. All right, I gave you the tough news. Can I give you some good news? Anybody want any good news this morning? You're like, good, because I'm getting ready to close my Bible and just start crying right there in my chair. No, don't do that. Listen, spiritual satisfaction is available. Spiritual satisfaction is available to the person, the Christian, the Christ follower who seeks after God's righteousness. Do you hear me? Not just abundance, but true satisfaction. Spiritual satisfaction is out there. Does that sound good? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. John 4, 14. Remember the woman at the well? Listen to what Jesus says. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Jesus said a couple chapters later, John 6, 35. I am, are you ready? You know, the bread of life. Jesus told them this. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. It's talking about spiritual satisfaction, not at all about uh, human or needs that we have while we're here on this earth. So let's notice this reward, for they will be filled. I'm going to give you three more words. They're not F words, they're S words. Number one, the sureness of the reward. That's here. The sureness. It says, will be. Will be. Jesus is speaking this. You probably realize, but have you thought recently that God fulfills his promises? You thought about that? God fulfills his promises. Just think about that for a minute. No matter where you are, what's going on today, what happened this past week, what your future holds, God fulfills his promises, for they will be filled. Hmm. Number two, size of the reward. Not just the sureness of the reward, but the size of the reward. They will be filled. You see, this is not cheap compensation. This is not filling your gas tank. You would say, oh, that's not cheap. Well, I understand that. 
But if you drive, guess what? You don't have to fill it again. This is not cheap compensation. God rewards abundantly and consistently and continually. The size of the reward, we can't even get our minds around it. Number three, there's satisfaction in the reward. Sureness of the reward, size of the reward, satisfaction in the reward. You see, the word filled, it indicates satisfaction, but it also indicates abundance. I think the psalmist knew this. Listen to Psalm 107.9. Talking about God. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. You want to get in on that? I do. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, here might be the most profound statement for some of you today or some of you listening online. Maybe you haven't figured this out. Some people have. The world's rewards do not satisfy. Are you aware of that? Oh, well, wait. Just give me another $100, Lamar, and I'll see. No, no. the world's rewards do not satisfy. But God's rewards always satisfy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to implore you this morning to really consider this beatitude. And I want to give you some more good news this morning. I'm going to give you six things, if you're right fast. Six things. This is the, if you follow this beatitude, and, and this really becomes your intense desire, there's at least six things in Scripture that you're going you're gonna to be this kind of a Christian. I, I think you'll be blessed to hear this. Number one, the Christian who is full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Does that sound pretty good? Romans 15, 14. Look it up. Look it up. Number two, this person becomes the kind of Christian who is filled, are you ready for this? With all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19. Filled with all the fullness of God. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Number three, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You will be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. That's good news. You don't have to pump it yourself. You'll be filled by the Spirit. Number four. Filled with the fruits of righteousness for God's glory. That's what the verse says. Philippians 1.11. That you shall be filled with the fruits of righteousness for God's glory. Number five. Filled with the knowledge of His will. We say it this way. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. Doesn't that sound amazing? We deal with people all the time trying to discern God's will. What is God's will? What needs to happen and all that. And we see right in Colossians 1.9, we, we need a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we, we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Colossians 1.19. And number six, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Wow, that sounds refreshing to our world, doesn't it? To be filled, this person, this, you can be this kind of Christian if you have this intense desire here in verse 6, to be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, Acts 13, 52. How does that sound? 
Sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? And these things God can begin and continue to give to us as we hunger and, and thirst and hunger and thirst and hunger and thirst, crave, starve, are so parched for all of His righteousness. For they will be filled. That's you and me if we're Christians. I've got a question for you this morning, though. What if you're not yet a Christian? What if you're not yet a Christian? In this room right now, what if you're not yet a Christian? Online, what if you are not yet a Christian? Forget all that. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We just mentioned that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. There's no spiritual satisfaction with spiritual death. The Bible teaches that it is appointed a day on which each one of us will die. Have you read that verse? And then comes judgment. You see, we are drawn by God. You're not here by accident. God gives us this faith. God, for by grace are you saved through faith. God gives us the very faith to place our trust and belief in Him. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to conjure it up or go find it. He gives that. If you're feeling something or you're in this place and wondering why, or if you begin to read the Bible and wonder what all this is about, God is giving you the faith to say, forgive me. I trust you. I place this faith, this trust in you. And Jesus saves and forgives. Amen? For God so loved the world. Did we sing that today? I think we did. For God, I got the lyric in my head now. I'm not going to be able to quote the verse, David. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, that's that faith, trust, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen, if you're not yet a Christian today, you can repent, you can run to God, and Jesus will save you. God will come into your life and be your Lord, your boss, your master. And you can begin the great journey of hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. And you can be, begin the great journey of spiritual satisfaction. Your purpose, the meaning of your life will change. It will never be the same. You can join the family of God, so to speak. That's what you need to do. For those of you who have done that, evaluate and consider the options of hungering and thirsting. Oh, to be filled with all the things that we just looked at this morning. Oh, to have that kind of life and become closer and closer to the Lord. Let's pray. God, today we acknowledge you are our Lord our God, the God who saves, the God who changes lives, the God who spurs us on in hungering and thirsting, God, for more of 
you and your righteousness. I pray that during this time that our hearts would be open. Right now, just for a couple minutes, Lord, would you do heart surgery? Open up our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes and help us to see your truth and evaluate our lives, see where we are and see where you want to take us. God, I especially pray for those who are listening, wherever they're listening, that are not yet a Christ follower, that they would turn and run to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.